Today we're starting the new series. I just told you it's called Home for Christmas. I want to know how many of you are staying home for Christmas. Christmas is coming to you. You're staying home. You're not having to travel. You don't have to go anywhere. Just raise those hands again. They're too fast. All right. A lot of people are staying home for Christmas. How many of you are, are going home to Christmas? You're going somewhere else that's home for Christmas or to someone else's home. A couple people are going home for Christmas. That's exciting. I've had a lot of people have asked me over the last, uh, I guess, couple weeks and really over the last month, are you getting to go home for Christmas? And the reality is, is like Laramie's home. Like we are home for Christmas. We're staying home. We don't have another home to go to. We have family members that are spread abroad, but... We, they're welcome to come and join us at Laramie. They're all scared, but we're staying home for Christmas, and we're excited about it. Um, Christmas and home bring a lot of emotion. For a lot of people, there's the nostalgia of home at Christmas. There's the idea of home and the idea of Christmas, and those are wonderful thoughts and ideas, and there's great memories that are associated with them. There are traditions that you had in your home? How many of you had some special Christmas traditions growing up in your home that you remember fondly? Anybody? Yeah, several people had Christmas traditions. One of the things we're going to do during the sermon series is we're going to highlight some Christmas traditions, not just that you wear uh, footed pajamas to the movie theater on Christmas Eve. If that's your, your tradition, that's fine. Uh, we're not going to necessarily highlight those. We're going to highlight some traditions that people have in their home that bring attention to Christ and keeping him at the center of your home at Christmas. And so that's something that we're going to do. And so if you have something special that's a tradition in your home that's a reminder that Christmas is about Christ, it's fine to celebrate in other ways, but it's important for us to keep Christ in the center of our homes and to teach our kids that it's, it's beyond just gifts and trees and elves and reindeer. Um, if you have a way that you do that, share that with us. We'll highlight it in one of our sermons over the weeks to come. And several of you are like, how do I do that? We have, we have fun Christmas traditions, but maybe you're, you're here today and you say, in our family, we really need some Christmas traditions that are going to bring attention to Christ as the center of it. How do I do that? Well, we're going to share some of those ideas over these next several weeks with this Christmas sermon series. And uh, hopefully it'll give you some ideas that you may want to incorporate in your family. <coughs> But for others of you, Christmas isn't fond and lots of great memories and, and traditions. Um, maybe for other people, home and Christmas are painful. Maybe for you, there's nothing that brings out um, more the fun and dysfunctional like home and Christmas. For some, Christmas is a difficult reminder of painful things in the past. For some people, the thought of home and Christmas is just hard because they wish they could go home or wish they could be home and they can't. Maybe because of distance or the cost or time or work. Um, for you, being home for Christmas is impossible. Or maybe it's that there's no home to go to. Not anymore, at least. Maybe because of the loss of a loved one, that's possibly forced unwanted changes in your life and there's a lot of emotion, especially if that's a fresh situation for you. Maybe you're here today and there was someone that you wish was coming home, but is not. Or maybe home just isn't what it used to be, or home's never been what you wished that it was. John Ortberg says that there's the home that we long for, and there's the home that we have, and there's always a gap between the two. And for a lot of people, that's, that's true. There's a gap between the home that we have and the home that we wish 
that we had. Have you ever thought about how many songs that there are about home? Anyone have a favorite song about home that you, comes to mind? There's tons of them. There's tons of them that are just called home. There's many with the name home in them. Uh, everyone from Michael Buble to Philip Phillips, Chris Tomlin, even One Direction. Even the new Frozen soundtrack has a song called Home. My favorite band, Switchfoot, has a song called Home. You're probably familiar with songs like Sweet Home Alabama, right? There's so many songs about home. Sweet Home Alabama forever has a new connotation for us because we were privileged to spend the 4th of July in Saratoga this year. And... Uh, there were, we noticed that there was some music that was going to be apparently played and, and was played uh, all night long uh, right out the back door of the resort in Saratoga that we got to stay in. And we noticed that one of the songs that was played repeatedly, because they only about five songs, even though it was played all night. Uh, and so the song that we enjoyed the most and got to, got to uh, appreciate was Sweet Home Saratoga. And it was, it was amazing rendition like I'd never heard before. In 1943, Bing Crosby wrote the famous song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. You may have heard it this week, or maybe you listened to it today as you came in. It was a top ten hit, an instant classic. And it was written to honor soldiers overseas who longed to be home. Specifically, it's depicting a World War II soldier who writes a letter to his family and says, I'm, I'm coming home. Get everything ready. Make the preparations. Imagine that emotion of being away from home and longing to go home. In 1965, the astronauts of the Gemini 7 requested the NASA ground crew to play that song for them over the airway so they could hear that song. Home is a big deal, and being home for Christmas is a really big deal. I love this story about the Wright brothers. I've shared it before. Maybe you've heard it. But in 1903, on their fifth attempt to fly, they had their first successful flight of an aircraft, and they flew for 12 seconds. And they excitedly telegraphed home with the news. And the message was read, we've flown for 12 seconds, we will be home for Christmas. Upon receiving the news, their sister went to the newspaper and, and told the editor of her brother's new flying machine and that they had flown for 12 seconds. And they informed him that the brothers, she informed him that the brothers would be home for Christmas if, if he wanted to set up an interview. And he told her that that was nice and he would put something in the paper about the boys. And he did. On December 19th, the sixth page of the newspaper in small uh, print that didn't bring any attention to it said, Write brothers home for Christmas. The editor completely missed the biggest story of the year. All he heard was that they would be home for Christmas. Uh, the word home in the Bible is used 186 times. And the concept of home is weaved throughout even more than that. Over the next several weeks, between now and the end of the year, we're going to look at the concept of home for Christmas. We're going to look at the original Christmas story the one from the Bible, not the movie about a leg lamp and a kid getting a BB gun. That's not the original Christmas story. I hate to break it to you. We're also going to look at some traditions that families have that keep Christ as the center of Christmas. And we're going to help them to remind their family and people around them that the real reason for this season is the birth of Jesus. Today, we're going to start the series with a curious twist by focusing on leaving home for Christmas. When most people think about being home for Christmas or going home for Christmas, probably leaving home for Christmas isn't 
the first thought in your mind, but that's where the scripture begins, and it begins there in two different ways. Probably what comes to mind most obviously is the thought of Mary and Joseph leaving home because of the census and the travel to Bethlehem. But today I want to back us up even before that. And I want to look at another way that we see leaving home for Christmas as depicted in the original Christmas story. And it begins in John chapter 1. So we're going to look together in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 14. It says this, it's on the screens and in your worship guide. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but, was, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I love the original Christmas story. We're going to get to the parts that are maybe your favorite, Mary and Joseph and the angels and uh, the donkey ride that maybe did or didn't happen the camels and all the wise men and those different parts. But before we jump to that, I want, to, I want us to stop and focus on this. Sometimes we jump straight to the angels and the sheep and the manger and Mary Joseph and the wise men. We miss the important prelude and context of Christmas. We miss the God that was there from the beginning and created all things. He's the one who gives life and the light of the world. We forget that Christmas was the act of the Son of God leaving his home in heaven, becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us, a light shining in the darkness. While most of the world is going home for Christmas or dreaming of being home for Christmas, we recognize that Jesus left his home in heaven to be a light in the dark world. So I want us to look at today at what, what does leaving home at Christmas mean for us? And the first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture, we see it in, in John 1, 4, we see it in, in the verses that follow, is that the world is dark. The world is dark. The Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That passage is really a continuation of, of John chapter 1. It's still just the same author we put the chapters and the verses in, but it's, it's a continuation of what we're talking about here. God, the creator of all things. We read a minute ago that through him all things were made. In him was life and the light of mankind. But we read that there was darkness in the world. In fact, this conversation about light and darkness in John 1 goes all the way to John 3 and beyond. And it sums it up in John 3.19, kind of like this. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds 
were evil. Now, this is talking about the people who lived in the first century in the time of Jesus, but I think it's also talking about all of mankind to that point. I think it's also talking about our world in general. In fact, this is still relevant in our world today. When we look around, we see a world that is dark and loves darkness. I don't have to work very hard to convince you that the world is dark. Most everyone either watches the news or goes to work, or shopped on Black Friday, or you go to school, or you interact with people in our culture, and you know the world's a dark place. There's darkness in our world. You already know it's a dark world. The book of John is talking about the people who lived in the first century time, but it's talking about our world also. It's, talk, it's something that we can relate to. But the good news is that it doesn't end there. The world is dark. But Jesus is the light. That's the good news today. Jesus left his home in heaven. Who leaves home at Christmas? Unless they're going to a, another home or a better home. Jesus does. Jesus left his heavenly home at Christmas and he left it for us. He left home so that we could come home. God throughout the Bible is, has a pattern of trying to call people home. And to call people into a deeper relationship. We see where it talks about us being a part of the family of God. We're familiar with a story like the prodigal son where we see that God's desire was a homecoming and restoration. And here we see that God leaves home. Jesus left his heavenly home, came to earth and dwelt among us. Not to sit on a, an earthly throne and rule over us, but to, to dwell among us. His desire for relationship, for connectedness, for presence. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were created to walk and talk with God. That was the plan, relationship, intimacy. But, but darkness and sin separate us from God. John 1.5 says that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's powerful. Despite the fact that we live in a dark world, despite the fact that there's sin and darkness and sin separates us from God, there's a light that's greater, and the darkness has not overcome it. God created all things, and him is life and light. Do you see how this all plays out? That the world chose darkness, and sin and darkness separate us from God, but God sent Jesus, the light of the world, and the darkness couldn't overcome it? That's, a, that's powerful and exciting news to share at Christmas. That's what it's all about. That's, that's the idea of leaving home at Christmas, that Jesus did for us light wins over darkness every time the darker it is the more the light overcomes even a small light shines bright on a dark night light wins but darkness doesn't like it have you ever been blinded by a light <laughs> yes. who likes a light turned on when you've been in the dark for a long time doesn't matter if it's first thing in the morning or when you just are, are have been in a dark place and a light gets shined on you have you ever been to a movie in the middle of the day and you walk outside and it's bright, but you've been sitting in the theater and your eyes adjusted to the darkness and it takes you a while to, to adjust to the light? After like five minutes, you can finally see and walk around. We grow accustomed to being in the dark. We grow even comfortable to darkness when we're in darkness. Plato said this, we can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. Jesus is still the answer for our world today. 
Jesus leaving his home allows us to come home. It's the light that the darkness may not like, but it's the light that our world needs. People look to other places, but Jesus is still the answer. Politics continually promises to give hope and change, but the change we want isn't always the change that we need. Many people place their hope in Wall Street, but even in a great economy, I have to tell you that the treasures of this world are only for a moment, and the Bible says that this life is but a vapor. Hear me out. Degrees are great. I have a lot of them. Careers are awesome. Working hard and making money and saving up, having retirement, all that is great. But if your hope is in those things, you're going to be disappointed sooner or later. Because Jesus is the only hope that we have. He's the only answer for our world. And it's the only thing that can overcome the darkness that we see around us. Jesus is the only thing that really matters. He's the light in the darkness. He's the hope for the hopeless. He's the strength for the weary. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus, the light of the world, he is the answer. So today we see not only that the world is dark and that Jesus is the light, but we see that John was a man. What? What does that have to do with anything? Right in the middle of perhaps the most beautiful and breathtaking descriptions of the eternal Son of God, we have John the Apostle, abruptly it seems, writing these words. There was a man. <laughs> what? You're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, stepping out of heaven, being the light of the world in a dark place. What does John, a man, have to do with it? Who cares about a man right now? It says... There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This almost feels like an interruption of a beautiful thing, like a distraction from Jesus, the light of the world, but it's there and it's there for a purpose. Is the author trying to direct our eyes away from God, the Son, the Word, the life, the light, in order to look at a man? No, I don't think that's what's happening here. In fact, the author instead is directing us to see the Son of God the light of the world, the overcomer of darkness through a man. This seemingly odd insertion about John the Baptist reveals something that's profound and mysterious, that God has chosen to make human witnesses the windows through which people see Jesus. John the Baptist was just a man. Kind of a weird one at that. He was a loner. Some of you would have liked him. He ate locusts and honey. A little bit strange. But he was a man sent from God as a witness that they might believe through him. To me, he kind of reminds me of some junior high students that I had as a youth pastor, the eating locusts and honey part specifically. I can't tell you how many times eating competitions break out in youth ministry among junior hires. I'll pay you a dollar if you eat that cricket covered in chocolate. Oh, I do that all the time, you know? So I hear about John the Baptist. And I'm like, this is the weird junior high kid in my youth group. Why is Jesus interrupting the light of the world that overcomes darkness with this guy. And it's because John was a man sent by God as a witness that all might believe through him. He pointed others to Jesus. And if God can use John the Baptist, then God can use anyone. In fact, what the world values as success isn't what God always values as success. Jesus one time said that John the Baptist was the greatest born among men. I guarantee you it wasn't because he ate locusts and honey. But it probably had to do with his willingness to surrender his own wants and desires and instead be obedient to God, to be faithful to the end, even when it cost him his life. 
how could it be that John the Baptist was the greatest? Because success in God's eyes is simply faithfulness and obedience. John the Baptist didn't live for himself, but he obediently pointed other people to Jesus. He was faithful. Even when the king put his head on a platter, he was faithful all the way to the end. John's not the only man sent by God. We are also men and women sent by God to be witnesses in our world like John was in his. When we hear the call of Jesus and follow him, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. This is important. That's a purpose. That's direction from the Lord. I think the, of words that people say, people's final, final words, famous last words. We hear about that all the time. And I think of the, the words that we so often read about and study the last words of Jesus' life, but I think also important is the last words before Jesus left. His instruction to us to go and be witnesses. I can look around the room here today and I don't see John the Baptist here. But you know what I see? I see a man sent by God whose name was Scott. And a man sent by God whose name is Ryan. And a man sent by God, whose name is Mike and Derek, and a woman sent by God, whose name is Hannah and Melissa and Barbara. And these are people that God has sent and strategically placed. I see teenagers sent by God named Sierra Corbin. You have a purpose, and God wants to use you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. He wants to point people to the light through your lives. Our faith is not a private matter. It's a public window through which God wants to reveal Jesus to others. That is our primary call on earth. No matter what other task that God gives us to accomplish, the question is, will we be obedient? Will we be faithful? In a dark world, will we point people to Jesus, the light that shines in the darkness? Will we be the light of the world that Jesus has called us to be? I love that Jesus stepped out of heaven. He left home at Christmas. He came because the world was dark. He came because it needed a light, and he was the light of the world. But I love that as he begins shining that light and raising up others and training disciples, he instructs them and us as the church that you are the light of the world. We have the mission to carry on the light of Christ in our world today. Christmas in our culture is taking on a life of its own. And as our culture has drifted further from a biblical foundation, it has become less Christ-centered and more self-centered. The celebration of Christmas becomes less about the birth of Christ, and it's more about the gifts under the tree for me. And the extravagant trips and, and, and all these vacations and all this stuff. And none of that is wrong in and of itself unless we allow that to blind us to the reality of what Christmas is all about. And so many in our culture have, and it's so easy to allow it to happen. I want to challenge you over the course of this Christmas in your home to find some creative ways to keep Christ at the center of Christmas. No one else is going to do it for you. No one else is going to establish godly traditions and, and principles in your home that are going to point to Christ. Schools aren't going to teach your kids how to come home and do that, and it's not their place. It's our place as godly families to keep Christ at the center of Christmas. And you may say, well, I already do. Every time someone tells me happy holidays, I always reply Merry Christmas. And that's great, but hear me out. What I'm talking about is not so much trying to force Christ on those outside our home and more st staying focused on him inside of our home. It has to begin there. 
We're so focused on everybody else, and I wonder if we're as intentional about keeping Christ at the center of our lives. If we're not careful, we can get so focused on saying Merry Christmas that we forget to live out the very meaning of what Jesus did at Christmas. And instead of people understanding that Jesus is a gift of love to a world in need, people just know that Christians get really cranky around Christmas. Unfortunately, I think it happens far too much. So if you really want to change the culture and keep Christmas focused on Christ, then begin by staying focused on Christ in your own home and in your own life and live a life that shows the character of God's love and the difference that Jesus makes. Set an example of it in your own life before you force it on other people. There's a lot of practical, creative ways to keep Christ at the center of, of your home this Christmas. And by the way, I'm not against saying Merry Christmas. Say it. Don't be cranky about it. Each week, I'm going to share some ideas with you and encourage you to use them and come up with your own ways of keeping Christ at the center of Christmas. You can do whatever you like. You can take these ideas and you can walk out of this room today. Your kids are back in kids' church and you can go home and just act like some kind of creative genius that you came up with these on your own and your kids never have to be any the wiser. Or you can take the idea of what I'm going to share with you today and come up with your own unique creative ideas and begin those traditions in your home. Hopefully you'll share them with us, or I can share them with other families in our church next week. But I want to I give you some ideas that you, can, that you can use. One way that I've heard that people keep Christ at the center of their Christmas is that they gather their family together at the first lighting of their tree, or when they go see Christmas lights, and they read a scripture similar to the one that we just read about Jesus being the light of the world. And they remind their family, they remind themselves, they remind those that are with them that lights at Christmas are beautiful, but they should remind us that Jesus left heaven at Christmas to become the light in a dark world, and in the same way that we are the light of the world. It's a simple reminder. You can turn it into a devotional. You can preach a sermon if you like. My family accuses me of not only preaching twice on Sundays, but several other times to them throughout the week. You don't have to do that. It can just be a simple reminder. Another way is Christmas caroling. I know a family that they take their entire family, not just like them and their kids, but like when people come over for Christmas, they like take a, a couple minutes out of their Christmas time and they, they share about the importance of sharing the good news of Jesus' birth at Christmas and they go and they Christmas carol at the house of a person that they know, a friend that they have or a coworker, someone that needs a reminder of the true meaning of Christmas and they sing about the birth of Christ, maybe even just one song, and wish them a Merry Christmas, give them a card, and then they go home. And if they're not a big caroler, you could just do one house. If you are, you can go to every house in your neighborhood if you like. But what a fun reminder and way to teach your kids that at Christmas we are to share and we're to, to spread joy and, and share with people the true meaning of Christmas. Those are just a couple ideas. we got some more that we'll share in the weeks to come, and we want to hear yours. The important thing is whether you take one of these ideas or you take one of your own or you look them up on the internet or you have a Pinterest account that has a million of them, keep Christ at the center of your home for Christmas. I'm not against having a Christmas tree, opening gifts, watching Christmas movies, the Hallmark channels where I draw my line, but more power to you if that's your thing. I'm also not going to listen to Christmas shoes. That song's like the most depressing thing ever, but if you like to cry at Christmas, listen to Christmas shoes. Do all of it. Embrace it all. Watch Elf every day of the year. I don't care as long as you find a way to remember that Jesus is the reason that we celebrate. As long as you don't lose focus 
of the real meaning of Christmas, that there's something that's more important than the gifts that we receive or the gifts that we give. It's the gift that God gave to us that outweighs any that we'll ever receive or give on this earth. The world is dark. Jesus is the light. John was a man. Jesse, if you'll come and just begin to play softly. Today, I want to share this with you because over the next several weeks as we're talking about Home for Christmas, we're going to be highly evangelistic in our our sermon topics. We believe that Christmas is a time where people are open. They're more sensitive to receiving from the Lord or a relationship from the Lord. They're celebrating something that they maybe don't fully understand. There's so many opportunities for us to be like John, a man who's sent from God, to share the good news in our world, if we'll just look for opportunities, if we'll just be obedient and faithful to what God has for us. The number one way that people come to church is because someone that they knew and trusted invited them. It's as simple as that. So many times we try to make a statement instead of trying to impact someone's life. I talked about the Merry Christmas thing. You know what, if someone wants to wish me happy holidays, I would rather let them know that I'm a loving and caring person and have a relationship with them and maybe an opportunity to share Jesus with them than to try to prove a point that it's all about Merry Christmas. I'd rather invite the Starbucks barista to come to church than to gripe at them about a cup just being red because they didn't make the cups. And I think God values the relationship with a person more than the terminology or the political correctness. I don't want to be a cranky Christian at Christmas. I I don't want to miss an opportunity to make an investment in someone's life, to share Jesus during this season. I don't expect people that don't believe to share my values. It's just not the world we live in. The world is dark. Jesus is the light, and we're supposed to point to him. And we can do that in a, in a loving way. We can do that in a way that causes people to desire what we have, not to be thankful that they don't have to be like us. Look for those opportunities. They're out there. There's opportunities. And over the next three weeks, we're going to give invitations for people to make a decision for a relationship with Christ. I hope that every chair that's empty right now is filled with a friend or a family member, or a co-worker, or a neighbor of yours that needs Jesus. That maybe they've resisted coming to church with you all year long. You invited them at New Year, and you told them, hey, our pastor said, you got to stay focused in the new year, and you got to get new priorities. Come on, come to church with me. And they said, nope. And you invited them at Easter, and you said, hey, my pastor made these cards, and he said I have to hand out three, so would you please take one and come to church with me because someone's got to come. And they said, nope, I'm not going to come. And you invited them in the summer. You invited them to backpack giveaways or whatever, and they said, no, 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 no. But maybe just this time when you invite them and you share the love of Christ, they're willing to come to a Christmas service. Christmas at New Life on the 22nd. Next week's going to be really good too. But these are going to be evangelistic opportunities. We, we believe that people that are seeking the Lord, maybe they don't even know that they're seeking. Maybe they're worshiping on an altar to an unknown God at Christmas. They're celebrating Christmas. They don't even know what it's all about. But they accept your invitation to come. And we just believe that over the next several weeks, people are going to come to know Christ. They're going to receive the greatest gift of all. What an awesome story that would be that 
hey, Christmas 2019, I received the gift of new life in Christ because Scott invited me to come and I went. I'm picking on Scott today a lot. I'm just keeping him on the hot seat. We want you to invite, we want you to share because just like John was a man sent by God, so are you to your world today and you can make a difference. You can point people to Jesus. There's still a lot of work to be done. Still a lot of darkness in our world. I want to challenge you and encourage you that as we're going into Christmas season, to be the light of the world that God has called you to be, to live it out in our homes, to teach it to our kids by our actions that speak louder than our words alone, to show our neighbors and our coworkers what it looks like, to kill your in-laws with kindness. Now, don't literally kill them. Just focus on the kindness part. And to not be a cranky Christian at Christmas. Be the man or the woman or the teenager sent by God as a witness into this world. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that when we were lost in darkness, that while we were still sinners, that you, you died for us. That at Christmas, while we're focused on going home or people coming home to us, you stepped out of your heavenly home so that we could have a home in heaven. You came to be the light of the world and you sent us ordinary people, sometimes unlikely choices of people, to point others to you. Not only were you the light of the world, but you called us to be the light of the world. And God, I pray that we would. I pray that as Christmas lights go up on the roofs of our houses and in trees, as we share joy and celebrate at Christmas, that we would share Jesus, that we keep you as the center of our celebrations, that we teach our kids what it's really all about, that we'd make new traditions that would honor you and be a reminder to us and people around us that we're celebrating the birth of Christ. We're celebrating our Savior who stepped out of heaven so that we can have a home in heaven. And we pray for the services over the next several weeks as we extend invitations to friends and family and co-workers and neighbors and strangers. Lord, help them to see the love of Christ that's changed our lives. Would your Holy Spirit draw them? We can't draw anyone. We can invite. We can be obedient. But Lord, it's your Spirit that draws people to you. It's your Spirit that draws people to a relationship with you. Lord, we pray for the services next week that many would come to know you and make decisions for you. Lord, I pray for Christmas at New Life on the 22nd as we have fun and celebrate the birth of our Savior, that many would come to know you and they would see the joy that there is because of Jesus. It's greater than any joy that we can buy or manufacture in our world. Help us to be simply obedient and faithful as John was to point people to you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that we get to celebrate with a risen Savior this Christmas. Use us in our communities and the places where you've positioned us. Help us to be faithful to our assignments. In your name we pray. Amen.